Welcome to the Competitive 40k podcast brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress and perform at this incredible game, Warhammer 40k, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Stephen Box, and I give you a very warm welcome to the show. Hey, and welcome back to the show. It's been quite the gap since we last recorded. So I'm Stephen from Vanguard Tactics, and today I'm joined with Michael Costello. How are you doing, Mike? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, looking forward to this podcast. This is your first time on the show. It is. Well, uh, so I probably should introduce you, really. So Michael um, came on board around six weeks ago and as one of our sort of head of education for the Vanguard Tactics Academy. Uh, Michael, we're going to find out so much more about you today in this show, uh, but just to give a very quick introduction to Michael, he's a fantastic Death Watch player, uh, one of the best that I know, and I think his results really speak for himself. Um, but I don't want to blow his trumpet too much, but his knowledge of rules is an exceptional teacher, and it's a real pleasure to have Michael on not only the team, but also on the show today as well for you. So in today's episode, we're going to be reviewing the recent Leicester GT that myself and Michael went to. And the reason why we want to talk about this today is because we both brought a what we call off meta list. I think both myself and Michael share that same sort of passion where we like to really be innovative with our own lists. We really like to sort of think off piste and like to go against the grain as whatever compared to what everybody else likes to take at the top, top tables. And we like to see how we can get on with that. And I think that's really part of the fun for us. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think forging your own path when you're going to a tournament, using a list that nobody really sees, it just makes the whole experience so much more interesting for you, not just for you, of course, but for uh, anybody who's following. And of course, for the people you play against, it's it's very refreshing to play against an army that you, you're not expecting to play or one that you've not seen loads in the meta or perhaps one that you know isn't just going to be, oh, it's game over after turn one or two. Yeah, not that, oh, it's insert whatever's popular right now. You know, you don't get that, oh, great, ad mech or you know, back in the day before the, um, the before the changes happened. So um, I think that's going to be something that we're going to really focus on today was, you know, what inspired our lists, uh, some of the matchups we were concerned about. We're going to be talking about some of the misjudgments and maybe surprises that we had, some of the MVPs of our lists, some hidden gems or some things that we felt didn't quite perform as we'd liked. But what I'd really love you to take away from this show is more about actually our mindset in terms of adjusting now. So we went to an event, we did okay, we'll talk about that. Um, and we're not going to give you a play-by-play, -play. like we played this matchup and it went like this. Look, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep this more about reflection because the most important way for anybody to improve is to reflect and then immediately take action. I think a lot of the times people are, aren't really self-critical enough. Um, and I mean that in a positive way. Um, and they often can blame other things like dice or their opponents or the army or the, whatever it might be. This They play the blame game and really what you need to do is take responsibility for your own actions and in part of that is you know the list that you took um, and really being honest with yourself and we can do that today because obviously we've got multiple events coming up next year there's some really huge events I'm off to the LVO um, I'm running a um, and it's a huge honor to do this, but I'm actually running a workshop the day before the LVO is uh, VT um, or Vanguard Tactics have just become the official education partner for Frontline for their events. Super excited about that. And if you are interested, then we'll put all the links on the show notes uh, where you can check that out. But yeah, basically I'm going to the LVO and I don't know what list I'm going to take yet. It could be, it could well be Blood Angels. It could be the return of Stephen Box and his Blood Angels at LVO. It could be. And I can't believe it because I've played Sisters all year. Yeah, incredible. I, I mean, it'd be lovely to see. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited to hear about your Blood Angels yeah. during this podcast as well. And we've got, obviously, Beachhead, another yeah. big super major here in the UK shortly yeah. after LVO. Um, where no doubt you'll probably be taking the Death Watch. I will. Um, there's also the Nottingham GT. Um, I think it's the, a couple of weeks beforehand as well. And, th and that's another big event. So there's a few just before sort of the end of the ITC season yeah. uh, and very early next year. Yeah, absolutely. Right. What's first then, Michael? Well, um, we've talked about the fact we've taken interesting lists or perhaps off meta lists. Um, so Stephen... You took the Blood Angels to I Leicester did. City. I did. Uh, and you don't, you haven't taken them really before to any tournaments sort of this season. Um, what inspired you to take them now? Um, if I'm honest, 
just, I wanted to have some fun. What? I just wanted to have fun. I'd got a bit um, with the sisters to the point where I knew what the list does. I can kind of predict a lot of my matchups, which is a good place to be when you want to be competitive. It means mm. you've got your repetitions in, but I wanted a challenge. Yeah. Um, I wanted to keep it fresh. I've had some great results with the sisters this year, some phenomenal achievements. That I'm really, you know, personally pleased about. I played some fantastic games. I've also played some shocking games, but <laughs> on the whole, um, I just needed to freshen things up. And I thought, um, do you know what? Why not get the Blood Angels back on the table? Uh, one of our students or now coach actually has uh, become a coach because he's been such a fantastic student on the academy. Um, Matthew Chin painted a Blood Angel army, which uh, we purchased off him for the studio. And I wanted to get it on the table. So I was looking at it thinking Blood Angels could be fun. Um, and I first of all came up with a really funky list, mm. really like how stupid could I take it? Um, and I'm talking 30 incursors with every named character I possibly could. We had Astrath in the list, Mephiston, Dante, the Sanguinor. Uh, we had all the lads, you know. Um, the whole boy band. Yeah, I think Jake uh, decided to call it the um, the stag do. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I decided like, I can't be that ridiculous, but I want to still take some principles. So I thought, right, what characters do I love? Now, when I look back over the uh, content that I made previously in 8th edition, Ashtarath was a standout. He's my boy. So Ashtarath had to go in. He's a bit of a style pick. Um, and I thought, actually, now he's flat damage three. Um, he gets some really cool benefits. He's a master of sanctity. Unfortunately, he doesn't get the extra ability to do it on twos. Like the litany, mm. he's still on threes. You know, so when he is looking to get his buffs off, it is a little bit harder. But he's got some really cool extra rules in there. He gets his own specialist litany uh, where you can give a unit plus one to hit. Very, very nice. Um, and he's flat damage three, but you can combine that with another litany called the uh, Mantra of Strength, yeah. where he actually goes up to damage four. Now, when we start to think about what's popular at the moment, Hiveguard, mm. three wounds apiece, right? Astaraf goes through Hiveguard like, you know, a hot knife through butter. Um, we've got Dreadnoughts out there, minus one damage. So yep. I'm still flat three into those Dreadnoughts. Um, you know, Death Guard, Terminators, whatever it is, you name it, minus one damage, buggies are everywhere. So Ashtaraf kind of, and also now with the popularity of the Drakari Thick City with the minus one damage yeah. on them, yeah, he was in. So I wanted some really cool elements. Ashtaraf made the list. Dante's a staple. You just put Dante in. If you play Blood Angels, you put Dante in. Um, he's so efficient for his points. And what an absolute hero. So Dante's in. Then obviously the Sanguinary Ancient. And mm -hmm. we'll, we'll put the list in with all the Warlord yeah, traits and everything yeah. in the blog post. You can check out the list in its full entire detail. But the Sanguinary Ancient, he's like the Apothecary. He's got some Warlord traits in Relics we can talk about. Um, three units of Incursors. Three units of Death Company with Hammers. You know, like a selection of Hammers and Chainswords. Two units of Sanguinary Guard. The Ancient for the plus two move relic, which is clutch for this army. Um, and also then three units of assault marines. Assault marines? Yeah, not the Primaris ones. I'm talking regular firstborn assault marines. The, the ones with the chainswords? That's the ones. Yeah. I'll give you a minute. Well. Yeah, I mean, who's seen these in a while? Nobody, right? So I thought, what would be cooler and more thematic as an army and actually, I think one of my arm, my army's probably, no, I'm blowing my own trumpet here, mm. probably one of the fluffiest armies at the event. I would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. The only difference is I had some incursors, but hey, they kind of got jump packs as close as you can get to having a troop with the jump pack anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, I had a lot of questions. Why the assault Marines? They're rubbish. Death company don't work. Uh, why are you not taking the chaplain on bike? You know, all these common things or why have you not got you know, eradicate yeah. blade guard, you name it. Uh, but I wanted something really different. And that was the list. Yeah. And fantastic. And what about yourself? Um, so I brought the death watch, um, and you know, I've been known to bring a, lot, a very infantry heavy death watch army and the army of renown in uh, rising tide, Octarius rising tide. Um, is it rising tide? It was one of them, um, had the army of renown and that focused on kill teams. Uh, and that was sort of right in my, in my, uh, at my field because I love kill teams and it allowed me to run five kill teams um, and really maximize what I could get out of them. So uh, the, the list was um, a chaplain on bike um, because it is a very strong choice. I do love the chaplain on bike. Uh, we had a watchmaster in there uh, for some tasty rerolls. 
Um, we had uh, three kill teams that were sort of a, a real mix. So, you know, Terminators, Vanguard veterans, bikers, um, a Black Shield sergeant, uh, lots of hammer attacks, so quite combat, very resilient um, obsec units. And then we had a couple of shooting choices, so Hellblaster, Fortis kill team, um, and we had a Stormbolter kill team in a drop pod, and we had a Judicia in there as well. So you mentioned about the uh, Regiment of Renown. Give us a quick snapshot of basically, by coming that Regiment of Renown, what you get and what you lose. Okay, so in order to take the Regiment of Renown, um, you've got a... You can only take kill teams, characters, and dedicated transports. Now, you can take a Corvus uh, if you run some Protoss kill teams as well, um, but you're locked to those choices. So you can't take, you know, an individual unit of, let's say, uh, Plasma Inceptors. You can't take any Dreadnoughts, which are quite a common commonplace amongst Death Watch players at the moment. Well, apparently that's the only way to play Death Watch, isn't it? Well, you see, I'm trying to, trying to alter the curve. Yeah. Um, but what you do get um, is every battle round, you can pick a chapter tactic from the Space Marines book. So White Scars, Space Wolf, something like that for the whole battle round. And you get that across the entire army. Now there's a stratagem to get that for the turn, right? In the normal Death Watch Codex. So you're telling me that you can say, right, I want to be a Blood Angel for the battle round. Yes. Because that was one of the limitations of the stratagem in the book was actually only lasted for the t- the player's turn. Exactly. So if you're like a Space Wolf, of act- you know, where you, you get the benefit of that heroic intervention, right? Yeah. In that other opponents, because you can't heroically intervene in your own turn. Exactly. It's useless. Exactly. Okay. Um, this is strong, right? Yeah. And, and what that allows you to do, if you use the stratagem, it replaces uh, the one you've chosen for the battle round. But what you could do is you, you could go white scars with, say, one unit. And then your entire army, let's say, is in iron hands. So for the ter- for your turn, that unit advances and charges. And then at the end of the turn, it reverts back to iron hands. So they still get the defensive buffs in your opponent's turn. So you can sort of um, use that to your advantage. You know, um, all those different chapter tactics, really, really interesting and flexible way to play. Yeah. And you get some cool little stratagems, right? Well, maybe one, maybe one or two. One or two. Right. We'll talk about those in a minute um, because we obviously want to save that, the good bits to the end, right? Okay, so, yeah, we've gone over the list. What's next? Well, um, let's talk about how we got on, you know, overall. Just a brief overview, how we got on. So, um, talk us through sort of, you know, your final result, um, maybe a a brief uh, about, you know, what you played, that kind of thing. Yeah, so very quick summary. Um, I need to remember the order here. Um, So, I first game, Drew Admech, the Stephen Box favourite. It's, it's game one and Steven Box is probably playing some Admech is typically the uh, the lineup for me. Um, so it's normally a first game loss. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, obviously with the changes and I thought, okay, I can play against Admech with Blood Angels. And then I looked at the list and it was three units of infiltrators. It was three units of rust stalkers. It was the cohort. So they get the five plus invulnerable save. They can turn off re-rolls. Um, they can get the five plus feel no pain, the extra attacks, the advancing charges, and then all the fight last that comes with it. And I thought, oh my days, I just, why couldn't it be like a stereotypical, like I was thinking, give me some planes. Yeah. They fly over, shoot some stuff and then I kill them all. But anyway, no, it wasn't to be. Uh, but that being said, I performed quite well in this game and I wanted to say I played an incredible opponent. Mm. What a nice guy, uh, from Bad Moon's Cafe. And um, yeah, we had a really, really good game. Um, It was one in which did go a little bit better than I expected. um, And one in which I scored very, very highly. Um, So yeah, I think both myself and Lewis, actually, that was my opponent, who were actually quite impressed with how the Assault Marines did in this game. Oh yeah. The ability to, where they really shone in this one was wrapping his units. Mm. And then I used some really cool advanced, like, sort of strategies and tactics in the combat phase to get around his fight last and also his interrupts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up, yeah, we're doing quite well in that matchup and won the game 97-33. Oh, well, well done. Big win. Yeah. Quite good first one. Um, then I'm into one of our academy students, Connor, with his hive guard. Yeah. And this is vital intelligence or hard mission. Mm-hmm. Again, went pretty well for me. I managed to get first turn, pen him in. Um, and also then got to the point where that was a nice, considerable win against the Hive Guard. And that was like a very meta list. Yeah. Um, Ashtaraf managed to get in there and obviously did his thing into Hive Guard as expected. 
Um, we had then game three, I'm up against the 14 armager list. So this is, you know, three, three games out of three, you know, cause obviously now armagers are back on the menu in a big, big way. Um, that was another nice win for me. And again, scoring around that 97 mark. And the reason why I'm scoring 97s in most of these games is because I took retrieve Octaris data. Yeah. Um, so game four, I'm on top table. I can't believe it. I'm on top table. Zach comes <laughs> over to me and he's like, Steve, we need to talk about your Blood Angel list because I think it's one of the most uh, unique ones here. And uh, there's been a lot of hype about your Blood Angel list. Um, so it was super fun. Me and Boris that played on table one, he was using his Drakari, And it was, I think, the mission priority target. Mm. He went first. Um, he, he managed to screen out. He got the first drop with the Mandrake. So yeah. it, it prevents my fall on Fury. And we had a very close game, ending 97 to Boris to 93 to me. Wow. So I lost by four points. Um, Boris played a perfect game and we had a, it was fantastic. There was me, Boris, there was Malik, there was the referees just kind of, this was just such a fun game. Um, we we're having a great laugh. And, you know, I, I said to Boris at one point, I said, mate, I really hope you genuinely win this game because I really hope you can go on well in, in the rest of the event. Anyway, we, we both said at the end, what a great game it was. And we both had some great elements of sportsmanship as well. And what a fantastic opponent Boris is uh, from the Bad Moons Cafe as well. Um, and then so I'm three and one at this point doing mm -hmm. better than I expected. I only wanted to go three and two. Um, and then I'm up into Death Guard. Game five. Now, Death Guard are the reason why I stopped playing Blood Angels <laughs> because of one character that can just turn off every single rule that my army has. Mm -hmm. And do you know what? On reflection, I think I've come a long way in the last year. Yeah. And I really felt that actually I probably shouldn't have put the Blood Angels down as quickly as I did. Mm. Half of that is because I got really excited about Sisters coming yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not going to lie, it did sting. Yeah. And I realized that the more I've played this year with my Harlequin Horde army, mm -hmm. that probably, that army alone has probably taught me more about the game of 40k because I had to be incredible with movement mm -hmm. than any other army I've ever played before. Um, and that Harlequin army's really taught me a lot where in this game I could prevail without really having to interact with my opponent too much. I could focus on the movement phase, which is why it's such an important part of our academy is why we talk so much about the movement phase. Um, and, and again, I won that one um, in the end going and finishing up in, um, yeah, four in one position. That was another 97 to 83. So another nice close game, but one in which the Blood Angels were consistently scoring well. Um, so yeah, ended up four in one. I think I scored... 478 points out of 500. So I dropped 32 points over the um, entire event. So I was really pleased with that. Yeah. In most of those I've maxed out because of retrieve Octaris data. So um, yeah, I was super pleased. Well, amazing stuff. I think that's a fantastic result with Blood Angels. Um, obviously uh, commanded by yourself. Uh, and you, you know, there's a lot of stress put upon the movement phase. Um, so it, it's nice to see all of that come out with an army that isn't necessarily a meta army. Um, yeah, just 4-1. Yeah. Excellent stuff. And what really helped was the change from the LGT to the Leicester. There was a little bit more terrain. Mm. Um, and one in which felt a lot more playable for this army, because when I did the LGT prep, um, and I did a masterclass on this for our academy students, and basically I looked at every single army that I own, that I like playing with, and I thought, what am I going to take to the LGT? And the sisters scored the highest in terms of probability for me mm. as to what could play on each map. And the Blood Angels couldn't until we saw this new map pack and it completely changed it. Yeah. So just a subtle amendment of terrain really allowed this, this army to flourish. Um, and I really built the entire army around that plus two move. So I'm getting that 14 inch movement plus one to my advance roll. So minimum advance is going to be 16 inches. And, and when you've got that number in your head, you can work around. Oh, it was great fun. It was brilliant. That's what, 10 inches of extra movement over the whole, the whole game. Yeah. Incredible. Brilliant. So Michael, how did you get on? Well, um, brief talk through all of my games, you know, so I'd, I'd brought this Death Watch list. This is only the second event that I'd used the Army of Renown at. And the list was unchanged from an event uh, the previous week. So I was really excited to get to grips with um, with using this army a bit more and, and understanding how it worked. And and uh, game one, I, I was up against a, an amazing guy, Paul, and his World Eaters. 
Um, this was a really, really interesting game because we were sort of um, hammer blows against each other every turn, you know, combat smashing each other up. Um, but in the end, you know, my units were a bit more resilient with those storm shields and a bit of combat manipulation with the Judicia and such um, that I did come out on top. Um, and I did manage to get the, the big hundred um, with some guys punching a rhino to death, which was quite amusing uh, to end the game with. Um, and then I played against Vic VJ with his Grey Knights. And, uh, you know, I looked at the matchups and, and Vic VJ is, is a gentleman of 40k. Um, I've heard a lot about him and it was really, really nice to actually play him. Oh, he's a um, world-class player as well. Yeah, he's absolutely superb. So obviously I went into that game and I was like, okay, right, I'm going to give it my best. Um, this is going to be really, really interesting. Um, and it was six Dread Knights. And obviously Dread Knights quite powerful, um, quite intimidating playing against six Dread Knights. But um, on Vital Intelligence... Um, I did have a great options here with 50 obsec models in my army. Uh, and of course, the Grey Knights not having loads of obsec. I was able to sort of manipulate the primary to a win uh, in the end. Um, and I was really, really happy with that. Um, but it was, again, absolutely stellar game and stellar opponent. Nice. Yeah, just really happy with that game. And then uh, then I drew uh, Nassim and his Iron Hands. Yeah. So this was another, you know, sort of big name in the UK with his with his Iron Hands. And, um, oh, he's been doing well this season, hasn't he? Yeah. He has. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And... It, it was quite interesting looking at the list and, you know, you've got this character Dreadnought with Volkites and we know Volkite Contemptors are great already. And then it, yeah. it, exploding sixes to hit and such. Um, so I was looking at in this this list and looking at it and thinking, well, this is a lot of shooting, um, but we'll see what we can do. Um, and I played very aggressively. I, to quote Nassim, he said, I threw the kitchen sink at him. And uh, I really did. And um, it paid off in the end. Uh, we managed to get a lot of units tagging drop pods. I lost some big units early on to the, the heavy shooting from the, the Devastators and such. Um, but in the end, it was a whole two, hold three mission. And, and I just managed to control the primary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that was, again, another fantastic game and fantastic opponent. Nice. Um, yeah. And then I played fellow friend and coach Ben Jones. Now, this was gutting, wasn't it, really, for us? It was upsetting. Yeah. Because we had y me... Mm. We had you, we had Ben, and one or other top VT players, Michael Hooper, all four of us. And then we had a couple of students also undefeated at this point. But us four in particular were all in the top six, I think, or top yeah. eight of the... Uh, I think it's top eight. Yeah. Um, now, if one of us can go through, then we're into the quarterfinals and then uh, the finals. Yeah. But obviously, I already got knocked out from Boris in this mm. game. And you and Ben are now in a position where you're going to have to knock one of each other out. Yeah. So how did it go? Well, um, we were both sort of saying at the start, this is, this is going to be probably the closest game of the event. Um, you know, these two lists smash each other. It's, it, and it was priority target as well. So, and there's not too much difference on the secondaries. Um, it was an, a really interesting game from the start. I mean, Ben this year with his Drakari, he's been absolutely crushing it. Absolutely. Um, one of the most consistent Drakari players um, that I know of, you know, and his results speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course he's running the thick city. So, yeah. um, we've got, you know, six Talos in there, it's 12 grotesques, loads of minus one damage, loads of combat potential. You know, you've got all the good characters, Jazar, the succubus, um, the Archon and everything. And, and it was really, really interesting. Um, and I went first and I sort of set myself up in a position where, um, he had some really long charges turn one. And of course he didn't have advance and charge yet. And I sort of stayed out of range of, you know, some of the tools he's got, like the grenade to make them advance and charge turn one. Um, and I sort of made Ben come to me. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Ben looking at this, he's like, well, I'm going to get 15 points in the primary if he doesn't come to me. And that's obviously a big swing uh, right at the start of the game. Um, he failed, I think, four charges turn one. Granted, there was a nine in there, there was a 10 in there. Um, and he failed a couple of others as well. As the game went on, um, I started losing units but I'd done a lot of damage early on and, and it really came down to the last turn and whether I could kill Drizar with a kill team. Um, I did manage to kill Drizar and in the following turn, two Talos, a quarter of the Archon, um, the Archon himself could not pick up my kill team in the middle of the board. That's um, big. That was huge. It was an obsec unit. I was now on two objectives and Ben was only on one because we would run out of so many assets because uh, we'd been battering each other. Uh, and in the end, I won on the primary um, and it was a really, really close game. Yeah. Um, I think it was 93-83 wow. in the end. So it was literally just that swing on primary. Yeah. Um, but it was such a great game. 
So you're 4-0 at this point. I'm 4-0 at this point. And that's pretty big. With Death Watch. Yeah. No Dreadnoughts. No. Uh, so, game five. Game five. Who well, have you got? Who have I got? Boris. You've got the big bad Boris from Bad Moon's Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, because I couldn't quite knock him out, you see. He had no. done the number on me. He'd done the number on Steve. The, yeah. the Bad Moon war boss uh, was here. And um, traditional Drakari list. Yeah. It, it, what's ironic is if you had beaten Boris, yeah. we would have ended up playing. I know. And it would have been so upsetting to... Obviously, I'd knock you out, Steve, because, you yeah. know, um, to have to knock out Ben and you... Yeah, it would have been tough for you, wouldn't it? would have been really it? tough for me. I would it'd have been really, shed some tears. It would have been really, really hard, that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, as it was, yeah, played Boris. Um, uh, Boris is a fantastic player. Um, and uh, he was just really good with, you know, his, his movement uh, and sort of tried to command the game with the movement. I went quite aggressive... Um, and we'll reflect on that, you know, in, in a moment. But I went very aggressive. Um, there were a few moments where um, I maybe should have held back a little or mm. perhaps uh, gone in different directions. Um, I started the game strong. The highlight for me at the start of the game, Jazar charged a kill team and he did two wounds to a Terminator and then I killed him. Oh, wow. That was it. Jazar just went in, fluffed and then died. And uh, I was very, very happy with that. Why can't you ever do that against me? Well, you know. Probably the assault marines I'm taking. Yeah, it's not enough storm shields, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> As the game went on, though, um, I did run out of assets, and uh, we had a few, like, big moments where Incubi Tormentors went off on a 10 against some of my units, which you can never really rule that stuff out. It just happens. But Yeah. Um, and it was, it, it, I mean, it was a fantastic game. Lots yeah. of sporting moments, and uh, Boris deserved the win in that one. Yeah, nice. So you finished 4-1. Yeah. I finished 4-1. Yeah. Ben Jones finished four and one. Our other coach, Aaron, our orc coach, unfortunately lost round two, mm. but ended up only losing to the player that actually won the event who beat Boris in the final. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all four of us VT coaches all went four and one. Yeah. And we lost to the second and first place. Yeah. And of course, Ben, you know, we had to knock each other out, but yeah. Yeah, that was great. Um, Jakey with the sisters, he took my list. And unfortunately, didn't do quite as well, I think, as he had hoped. Uh, but I think he went three and two or two and three. It was three and two, I think. Yeah, one or the other, wasn't one or the it? One the other, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he faced a lot of grey knights and he played some great players, he said. So uh, anyway, on to, I suppose we should probably talk about games we were worried about, right? Yeah, I suppose so. So obviously you brought the Blood Angels and uh, we, we know they pack a wallop in, uh, in combat, but... They, they're not particularly um, survivable. You know, their defensive abilities aren't that fantastic. So looking at the games, were there any that you were particularly worried about? Um, well, I think all of them. If I'm, I'm not going to lie, all of them. <laughs> I, I, you know, it was, it's a list I haven't run all year. I, I haven't got, I haven't had the experience, the repetitions I'd have liked really before going to a super major. Mm. Um, my mindset wasn't on winning though. It was, like I said, it was just to have fun. I wanted to go three and two. I'd have been really happy with three and two. Yeah. So the Hive Guard matchup, I was really concerned about. I've heard awful things about the Hive Guard mm. um, with, you know, and the uh, Devil Gaunt squad that was also in the list yeah. that Connor had. Um, you know, I was really worried about that. Obviously I'd make you worried about Drakari, I kind of know what mm. what to expect. Mm. Um, and the Armagers, well, they hurt, but I got a Thunderhammer. Yeah. I've got a lot of Thunderhammers. Yeah. So actually the Armager list, because when I put this list together, I thought, okay, well, Armagers are going to be back on the menu. Knights are going to be back on the menu. Grotesques are back on the menu now. I'm just going to take a load of Thunderhammers. And actually, Thunderhammers do a lot of work now, mm. especially in the Assault Doctrine that I can sort of manipulate. Because when we start to look at some of those top meta lists, like the, the Dread Knight list, yeah. well, they don't really stand up very well to flat three damage Thunderhammers. Not at all, no. Um, you look at things like Thousand Suns, they've got good mortal wound output, but mm. then I that's why I put a Warlord trait on my um, Apothecary. Yeah. It's called Soul Warden, which gives me a five plus fill no pain against mortal wounds. Mm. So actually it just starts to build in a little bit more survivability in those yeah. meta matchups. But yeah, I don't think I would have too many issues against things like the Thousand Suns, the the Grey Knights. Sisters would be an interesting game. Mm. Um, I really, but I think with the way that my list is built, I can trade efficiently. Yes. Um, and this is where 
because we're sort of moving out of this T3 MSU meta that we've mm. been in for a while with Drakari and Admech and Sisters prevalent, these assault marines I thought could do a lot of work for me. A hundred point unit. Um, and when we when I started to look at them on paper, I thought, yeah, they get one attack. But you also get an extra attack for a chainsword. Yeah. I get an extra attack because I'm a blood angel. And then mm -hmm. also get another attack because I'm a space marine. I also get plus one to wound. Yeah. Um, I'm moving fast. I've got two wounds. So I get four attacks a model at minus two. And I'm, this is all in the assault doctrine. Mm. So four attacks each minus two is on par with bloody rose zephyrins. Yeah. Which get four attacks. The only difference is that they're minus three. Mm. That's the only difference. And mm. sometimes into, into a lot of these matchups, minus two, minus three can normally be the difference between where well, you're taking someone to their invulnerable save anyway. Yeah. Um, or you're going into some things that it's kind of irrelevant because you mm. can just overload with attacks. Yeah. So actually, this unit was incredible for me in some of those uh, potentially harder games where I was really concerned about, you know, the, the Devil Gaunts are brilliant, but Assault Marines can go into there and really flourish. Yeah. Um, they did fantastic just picking up Rangers. Yeah. Lots of attacks into Rangers do really, really good work, um, you know, for the Admet game. So, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The Hive Guard was the biggest boogeyman that I was worried about because I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Okay. Well, you play a lot of Death Guard and you mentioned you were at, you, they're one of the reasons that you stopped playing Blood Angels. So were you worried about the Death Guard or did you think you sort of had a plan this time around? Yeah, I had a plan. And it was to just focus on the primary. Deny as many secondary points as I possibly could. Um, it was sweeping clear five objectives and my incursors won me this game because what my opponent didn't realize was that, and this is just a sort of a mistake a lot of common uh, you know players make, they don't read the mission pack. Mm. And what my opponent didn't realize is that you can, if you hold the objective at the start of your command phase, yeah. you still remain holding that objective until it's taken away from you. Yeah. Um, which means that I can start all my incursors on the midfield objectives and he took stranglehold. Mm. Therefore, he actually has to completely, and then I can walk off the objectives because I went first, so yep. I can prevent him from making any charges because I can be outside of his movement in charge range. So he can't advance far, far enough with that army to get a stranglehold. Um, so I knew straight away I'm up on the primary points here. Sorry, I'm up on the secondary game mm. because we went for literally identical secondaries apart from he went for while we stand. Yeah. So on the whole, it went really, really well. And I just won on the scoreboard. I lost every unit in my army, mm. um, but it didn't matter because I just focused and I didn't actually kill much aside from one dreadnought and two units of Poxor because that was it. The rest of his army, I just let shoot, whether it is because he had three Volkite Contemptors. Yeah. He had two with the indirect fire uh, plague bursts and then a couple of float bloat drones. Mm. So about you, any lists you're worried about? Yeah, well, it's quite interesting. Obviously, I'd, I'd only really used this um, this army list for, you know, a tournament previous to this one. And I went in and obviously Hive Guard, um, I wasn't looking forward to. Thankfully, I didn't have to play them. Um, of, the, of the lists I did have to play, um, I would have to say that that Vic's six Dreadnight list was very intimidating on paper. You know, we know Dreadnights can hit hard in, in combat. Their shooting's quite efficient, um, but more so their, their infantry. You know, a five-man strike squad or interceptor squad, it's fast. It can kick out a lot of, uh, a lot of attacks, damage two, high Mortal AP, wounds. And then there's the mortal wounds on top. Yeah. Um, and it's really quite scary once you start looking at the numbers um, for trading. And if you've got a good enough trade into my army, then... Um, I've, I'm in trouble. Did you use the um, interesting question on that one then? Um, mm. I'm just thinking about how I would have maybe gone into that game. Did you use the Black Templars uh, army-wide rule? Because they get a five plus fill no pain, right? Against yes. mortals. Yes, they do. Um, in the end, I don't think I actually did. Right. Um, and this was because just how the game was playing out, um, I needed, um, I needed you know, plus one to hit in combat with the space walls, etc. Uh, and it's because I went first... Uh, and often with this list, when you go first, you tend to pick aggressive chapter tactics because it lasts the whole battle round. Of course, if you go second, then I'm definitely picking defensive ones because I can determine in their turn whether I need Black Templars. Um, but it's such a huge tool to have against, you know, Thousand Sons or Great Knights. You can Black Templars. And then there's a successor tactic you can get as well called Warded, where you get basically the same thing, but without the charge rerolls. So you've got stacked buffs against some of these psychic armies. Nice. Yeah, so... In the end, I did win, obviously, um, based on the obsec. Um, I sort of looked at um, where Vic's list wasn't able to really hurt me, and, and that was because he had a lot of AP2, 
Um, most of these intercept units had halberds, and whilst they're good into a lot of things into the meta because of the high strength, um, the sword's much better into me because they're AP3, uh, and AP2 against a terminate with a storm shield puts me at a three-up save, um, whereas, of course, AP3 would put me at a four-up invun, uh, and a three-up is a lot easier for me to manage, and I do spend CP because I've got them to spare in this list, um, re-rolling some of those three-up saves, and it really helps the unit survive. Yeah, Absolutely. After the Grey Knights, you know, I looked at the Iron Hands. I wasn't too much worried about Iron Hands. I feel quite confident into Space Marines. Um, obviously, the, the drop pod was the issue, but I knew that once the drop pod had landed, those Devastator Marines wouldn't stand up, and I could tap the drop pod and not be shot by his army, which is what I did with five units in that game. Oh, wow. And that won me the game, basically, because um, the drop pod landed right in the middle of the board, uh, and I was like, okay, well, if I tag this drop pod and can't be shot, then, then I can white scars... And then suddenly I've got the board, right? So actually, in that game, you've got to look at it and think, because for me, that would have been like a gift. Mm. My entire army, unshootable, because it can tag a dreadnought, uh, tag a drop pod. Exactly. Because only one model has to fight. And you know, I just put a, a model in with a chainsaw, so it's not going to kill it. Um, so probably what maybe Nassim should have done there mm. is actually just put the, put the drop pod in deep strike. Mm. Maybe even leave it in there mm. until... Turn four? I don't know. Do you have to bring it on? Yeah, you have to bring it on by turn three. Uh, he did bring it on turn one. Right. Um, I think I think the issue was the placement. I think um, he had lines of sight, but... Because you could have just deployed... What you could have done was just deployed those Devastators mm. behind a ruin and just walked out and yeah. shot. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just maybe put the drop pod down turn three, then his own deployment mm. zone or in yeah. yours or whatever. And yeah, they're not giving you the opportunity to get the wrap off. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I do see his decision, but maybe because obviously my list, as we said, then they're, they're not lists you see a lot. So you don't maybe understand them quite as well. Yeah. Uh, and the drop pod is such a powerful tool um, that you can get carried away using some of these. Yeah, nice. Um, so after that game, of course, I had... Ben Jones and um, Thick City was one that I felt confident into. But of course, um, when you look at Drakari, they're backed up by all of these incredible characters um, that can do so much damage. And Ben's playing it. And Ben's playing it. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, you can't just look at the list. No. You look at the player. And, and I, by this point, I've played, you know, um, at least two fantastic players and, um, you know, played my heart out. And against Ben, it was no different. Um, yeah. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was a hard, hard game, um, but we got there in the end. Um, and then the last matchup, Jukara, we all know Jukari is hard. Traditional Jukari list is, is always hard, um, and it's all about trading. Um, but it wasn't something necessarily I was worried about. It was more one of those games you have to manage during the game. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah. Sounds good. Right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back where we talk about our list review going forward, some of our biggest winners and MVPs, maybe some of our losers that didn't perform. So we'll be back after this short break. The Competitive 40K podcast is sponsored by Seed Studios, world leaders in commission painting. Right from placing your order to receiving your models, the experience is going to be one of a lifetime. So if you're time poor and you want an incredible looking army, then look no further than Seed Studios. To find out more, head over to www.cstudios.co.uk. Right, we're back from the break. Um, Steve, what were some of your biggest winners or MVPs? Okay, so, I mean... Don't say it, Steve. You know what I'm going to say. Was it the Assault Marines? Yeah. And I just genuinely, for their points, were so good in so many different ways. They are the best screen, you know, for Deep Strike. 16 inch minimum move. They're not easily killed when they're within, you know, terrain and they've got, you know, near the apothecary. But this unit did actions for me. They retrieved Octarius data like you wouldn't believe. Like you can put them back up in the sky, bring them back down. Um, also, they do pack a bit of a punch into those sort of T3 lightweight, you know, less durable units that I can just throw them into. They act as move blockers a lot of the time. So in the Death Guard game, for example, um, my opponent had his death shroud and that character that I hate a lot. Um, and every single turn, I just put that unit three inches away from his death shroud every single turn. So all he could do was charge an inch, consolidate, 
And then next turn, I got to put another unit in front of it every turn. <laughs> so they were just fantastic at just doing things like that. They were brilliant at wrapping units and pinning units so that when my opponent interrupted, they could only put one model on the unit that I actually yeah. wanted to do. Like the death company did exactly what I expected, right? You put all the buffs on them, you send them off and they absolutely murder stuff, right? Yeah. So they were consistently great. It was the assault marines that were an MVP. They were a standout. They could do everything I wanted them to do and more. And in the more I uh, was like, oh, assault marines are amazing. People were like, no, they're not. I'm like, I'm gonna have to prove you wrong now. So I was coming up with more interesting ways to use them. Um, so yeah, for me, it was them. And also Ashtarath, like what an absolute monster. Um, like I took a, um, I took a bit of a, we had a bet on. Oh, you had a bet. We had a bet. And the bet was basically which character out of all the VT coaches characters could kill the most. Oh, uh, yes. I remember now. Um, and Ashtaraf single-handedly, I think turn one took out like a unit of Vanguard, uh, half a unit of Rust Stalkers, two Iron Striders and two characters, two Marshals. You know, next game, it was just like he took out an entire unit of Hive Guard. Uh, the game after that, do you know what I mean? We're just consistently putting in work. I think he took out three Armagers in, mm. in, in the Armager game. So for me, he was brilliant. Um, and at 150 points, he is quite expensive for a yeah. chaplain, but what an absolute monster he really is. And last night on stream, I was playing against Liam and he single-handedly took out the Silent King. 20 wounds to the Silent King he put in. So I think for him, he really caught people off guard. People yeah. did not expect in some of the cool abilities that you can do with Blood Angels, I can make you fight my character and my character alone, Angel yeah. Sacrifice. Then I can fight in death. So I can start to trade efficiently into units with Fight Last because that was really where the list started to fall down was not enough Fight Last in mm. my list. But the other place where I kind of lost out a little bit when we start to talk about some of the losers of the units were into Drakari game, I had no way to pop the transports mm. because if I pop a transport with a unit of uh, death company, then whatever gets out of the transport just kills the death company. So I'm always trading down and trading basically means I'm putting in an expensive unit to uh, basically get picked up by a less expensive unit. So yeah. I'm what we call trading down. What you want to be doing is trading up. So you put one of your units into something that is much more expensive, like Ashtarath into the Silent King. Yeah. That's a great trade. Yeah. I'll happily lose Ashtarath every single game if he takes out <laughs> the Silent King. Um, so yeah, th that was one of the biggest issues that I need now need to start thinking about is it's got amazing potential, this list to score in the primary unbelievable ability with yeah. the turning off obsec relic, uh, giving myself obsec, huge amount of movement. So stranglehold, taking the primaries is all good. Scoring 97 points in literally every game apart from one is amazing. Yeah. The scoring potential is actually better than sisters. Um, what I'm just lacking now is how do I play against transport units, transport yeah. armies? That's what I'm lacking. Yeah. Um, so that's what I need to think about. What about you? Biggest winners? Biggest winners. Well, I would say um, my single biggest MVP was probably the Judicia, um, which is an interesting one because when I switched to the Army of Renown, I couldn't take a Whirlwind and I was always a big fan of the Whirlwind making things fight last from like miles away. Um, and I needed a source of fight last to manipulate combat. And I put the Judicia in. He was quite cheap at 85 points. I gave him the Armour Indomitus to make him more survivable. Um, and I didn't realise just quite how good he would be um, because not only does he give out the fight last within three um, but he, he also kills things in combat. And I'm quite used to having characters that just sort of buff and don't really kill things. And, and much like your Astarath situation, um, it's so nice to have a character that does a buff or debuff in this case, uh, and also slaughters things in combat. Um, so the best moments I would say for me, for him, um, the ability for him to stand sort of in front of one of my Death Watch kill teams, um, and my kill team sort of stand just behind him, um, they can heroically intervene. And so can he. So you, if you charge any of them, you're going to be fighting last. And that really gives me a strong hold on objectives. Um, his standout moments um, against the Grey Knights, he made a lot of units fight last. Dread Knights, making a Dread Knight fight last is huge. That's big, yeah. Absolutely huge. Uh, he killed a Grandmaster Nemesis Dread Knight as well in combat. Wow. What beast. Yeah. Uh, and then the turn following, um, he proceeded to go and kill four Interceptors in close combat on his own. So are you going to be sticking with the Judicer then instead of a whirlwind going forward as a general concept, do you think? I think 100%. Yeah. Uh, it, it's He's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, 
I don't have to spend CP on making him on, on doing the fight last. And obviously I, I always have this attitude um, where if, if you have to make a unit work by spending CP, then you need to rethink your options because if you can do it for free, then it's worth it. Yes. Now there is a stratagem that I think we should probably talk about in your book. Cause I would probably say that's an MVP, right? I would have to agree with that being an MVP. So um, what does the stratagem say? So the stratagem says, um, providing you fulfill out, you know, certain um, situations. So your kill teams have to have specialisms. Um, but in this case, if you've got the specialism Aquila uh, on a kill team, then you can choose a target. And when you shoot, in fact, you don't even have to declare a target. It's just your unit. Right. Every hit roll, successful hit roll is a wound. Right. A wound. So 40 Stormbolters... Yeah, you know, I had 40 storm bolters in the list. Okay, well, 10 storm bolters firing four shots each in a drop pod. They drop down within 12 inches. They're going to fire 40 shots. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to give them reroll ones because the watchmaster might be nearby. Um, and every hit is just a wound. So it doesn't matter what the toughness is, uh, what we're shooting against. And of course, as Death Watch, I can choose to be in tactical doctrine. So they're AP1 as well. Um, and it was absolutely incredible through every single game. Um, we picked up a Redemptor turn one with them, um, which was, you know, killing a Redemptor. I bet Ben didn't like that, did he, with his grotesques? No, not at all. Well, I, in fact, I had to shoot some Talos in that game. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, I actually only killed one and a half Talos, which shows you just quite how tough they are. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was it was a, such, such a useful unit. Um, and that stratagem is absolutely brutal. Yeah. Three CP. Strong. Very, very strong. So I'm not talking about dominoes and Chineses and the rest of it, but any takeaways from the event for you? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I looked at all of, um, all of my games and of course you, you, you do tend to look at units that maybe don't perform quite as well. Um, for me, the Hellblaster kill team didn't really do as much as I was expecting. Uh, and I think that's mainly just because of how the meta is at the moment. Lots of minus one damage um, and not and lots of high toughness targets as well, which Hellblasters aren't quite good enough into. And um, they're just not resilient uh, compared to the rest of my army. So I'm, I'm looking to um, maybe change the list in terms of those. So they're uh, going back on the shelf. They're going probably going back on the shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of sort of maybe tactical takeaways. Um, what I'd really like to start trying to do is maybe look at combat squadding, more of my units. Um, I'm very used to running the 10 man big blobs um, that kick out, you know, 15 thunder hammer attacks because um, they're so survival survivable. And if you can stack buffs on a big unit, it's really useful. But in some games, and I feel like the last game against Boris, if I'd combat squatted more units, then I would have been able to trade a bit better. Um, and that's certainly something I'm looking at, at, at practicing. Nice. Because I think back in the day when I ran Death Watch, mm. um, I think I used to run about units of eight mm. because I found that was like a good happy medium between just enough survivability. Yeah. But saving two models from each squad allows you to take another unit. Yeah. And that was kind of roughly where I was at with that, back when Storm Bolters and Storm Shields yeah. were money. Um, but yeah, that's great to hear. And I love the fact, obviously, Death Watch is what I started this channel with. And I love the fact that you're absolutely smashing <laughs> it with it. And I love the fact that you brought my Storm Bolters back. Yeah. So uh, I think that was awesome. Um, okay, so Judas is saying, right? Mm -hmm. He's staying in the list. Mm, yeah. Um, you spoke to me about the Watchmaster. The Watchmaster, yeah. So you'd put him in the list originally for fight last manipulation on vehicles. But yes. you said you maybe didn't need it as much and you're going to change him out potentially. What are you yeah. thinking now? So, um, you know, the Watchmaster gave me the rerolls. The assured rerolls is always nice. Um, and I'm sure you love that with Dante as well. Mm -hmm. um, but unlike Dante, the Watchmaster doesn't really do anything else. You know, he's not very shooty. He doesn't do things in combat, really. Um, so I'm looking at, and he's 130 points, which is quite a lot for just rerolls. Yeah. And the, the odd fight lasts with his, his Clavis stratagem. So I'm looking at putting in a captain on bike. You know, I still want reroll ones because obviously if you've got three CP to make your hits or wounds, that's really useful in the shooting phase and rerolling ones just makes sure you get more of those through. Um, so we've got a captain. I put him on a bike so he's fast. Um, I've given him a storm shield and the Dominus Aegis and that's because of a change I've made in the list as well with the kill teams, which we'll come to in a moment. Um, and I've given him a lightning claw. One of them is I've master crafted that lightning claw to make it damage two. So this guy can run around, give buffs out, but also kill things in combat. Are they two relics of Dominus Aegis and then the... Yeah, so what he's got is 
the Castellan of the Black Vault is a warlord trait that allows you to take oh. one of those simple relics, like a you know artificer armor or yeah. a mastercrafted weapon. Nice. So given a warlord trait and um, a storm shield, um, that does cut me down to nine CP. Okay, um, but that's still quite quite decent in my. No, book. you can use that stratagem three times real good, so you're fine. <laughs> you're good. Um, and of course, the other reason I put him on a bike is the Auto Advance Six, because if I'm White Scars. Yeah. And there's a cheeky objective with maybe one thing on it or maybe four space marines on it. This guy can waltz in six lightning claw attacks, damage two, clear that objective for me. Yeah. And he moves 20 inches if he yeah. advances. Nice. So really looking forward to using him. Okay. Because I've bullied you into another kill team, haven't I? You have, yes. Yeah. So do you want to say what this uh, this kill team is? So uh, we're running an Indomitor kill team. Yeah, which is? Um, which for is, the people at home that don't know uh, what that is. An Indomitor kill team is the... Gravis armor kill team. So we're running five heavy intercessors uh, and we're running four aggressors and an inceptor. Why the, look, why the inceptor? So um, what's interesting about my list uh, and, you know, people ask me about this a lot is, is why I have these, you know, jump back or a biker in some of these units and movement manipulation is huge. So having this inceptor means that this aggressor unit suddenly goes from uh, a five inch move to actually more like a, a nine because you're within two inches of this inceptor. And then of course, there's his base size as well. So he actually gets them around the board a lot faster. Um, for Death Watch, if you have a jump pack model in a kill team, you can fall back and shoot. And obviously the aggressors are there for the shooting. We know the three CP strat is there. Um, and by taking an inceptor with the bolt guns instead of an aggressor, I'm only losing the D6 shots from the, the top gun. And I think that's a worthwhile exchange. Yeah, because this is going to be a unit that's going to pack out a lot of shots. Yeah. Uh, but also a unit that doesn't just come down. I mean, I love my storm bolters, right? Mm. But I mean, when you've got a unit of aggressors that put out shots. Yeah. And also the if you went for the assault variant on the heavy intercessors, that's still three shots a model rather exactly. than four. Which I have, yeah. Yeah. So not only is this unit a little bit more expensive, but now it packs a punch. It's also more durable into, you know, because obviously they're T5, three wounds each. Yeah. So I love it. All right, mate. Sounds great. I think there's some fantastic list changes there and I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you. I hope we don't face you. <laughs> we'll see. So, Steve, um, obviously, I've uh, talked about my list changes. Um, what things are you looking at? You mentioned not being able to deal with transport units. How do you think you're going to cope with that, with new list changes? Oh, so, yeah, I've been pondering this one. And I need to come up with a solution for Thick City. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to change to do now is, I, it literally kills me, but I'm going to have to drop the Sanguinary Guard. Um, being flat two damage at the moment is just not strong enough. So I'm going to drop the Sangers. Um, for instead of two units of five, I'm going to put a block of 10 Vanguard vets in mm. just so I can take more hammers. Yeah. Keep some of them super cheap just for a storm shield, maybe lightning, uh, storm shield and a chainsword. Yeah. Um, but the rest of them are just hammers. So I've got, you know, options to combat squad. So they're certainly going to go into the list again to help me deal with thick city um, and the other minus one damage units out there. Um, so that's going to go in. Ashtaraf, I think I've tried to take out, but I think he's going to stay. I think after he whooped the Silent King. Oh, I got a. He's a style pick as well. <laughs> I love the fact that no one takes him. And then finally, um, the assault squads. Mm. I really need to test out if I can put two motor gun, two melter guns in each squad, and a fusion pistol on the sergeant. Now this would mean that over the three units, I could add in another nine melter gun shots. So if I am against raiders, I can go over, and I just need to test out how reliable it is. It killing a raider because my intent here is kill the raider with the multi melters, sorry, melter guns, and then charge whatever comes out with the, um, you know, the the chainsaws and maybe a lightning claw on the sergeant. Or I'm better off just sticking a thunder hammer on it and letting the sergeant do the work. So I am thinking of adding a little bit more punch on those assault marines because they are good value. Mm. So they are some of the changes I'm considering, uh, but most of it will probably stay the same. Yeah. And I'm thinking of adding in uh, because I can put the um, the Vanguard vets in there are a little bit cheaper than Stern, uh, the Vanguard, sorry, they're a little bit cheaper than the Sanguinary Guard. Yeah. I can maybe slip in a Judaser, which mm. might be pretty clutch. Mm. Um, so for a little bit of fight last around turn three, because he should be able yeah. to keep up by then. It yeah. kills me that I can't give him a jump pack, but that's what we're going to have to go for. So anyway, um, where does that leave you now? I'm interested. Where are you now in the Death Watch rankings? Um, so I have been top globally of the Death Watch for some time now, but this this last event has really, really secured where I am. So top globally for the Death Watch. Um, I think, where did you finish in the event? Uh, 14th. You finished 14th. And I 14th. think I finished... 
I don't know where I finished now. Can't well, it remember. was win path. So, um, you know, you lost, sadly, the game against Boris round four. Um, but without that, I think with the very few points that you dropped um, over all of your games, you probably would have finished a lot higher without the win path ranking at the end. Yes, because I don't know. I finished 21st. Mm. But I don't know, actually, if there was anybody above me that scored more battle points than I did. Because all of their losses look quite considerable compared mm. to mine. So, uh, yeah, actually, I think if it wasn't Wimpath, I may have come. Um, obviously, I didn't finish 5-0. and oh, Yeah. Um, but as soon out of those 4-1 and one brackets, yeah. I think I would have scored quite highly. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was blown away by the Blood Angels. I think a lot of people that I spoke to were as well. And I can't wait to, um, you know, talk about this amongst the Blood Angel group. And there's been a lot of interest in the list again. Yeah. Um, and I'm super excited to uh, take the helm of Dante back. So I'm, I, I'm loving it. I could be back <laughs> on Blood Angels next season. Who knows? Um, so anyway, we're going to leave that there. We're going to be heading over to our interview, as we always do with James, to help you get your models battle ready. And we'll see you next week because we're back. Now we're back in our brand new studio that we're we back, have. We're back, baby. We're back. Uh, we're streaming every Monday night. So you can see these epic live battle reports every Monday night on the Vanguard Tactics uh, stream. We're also doing a little show myself and Jakey uh, called Off the Table, where we talk about everything that isn't actually on the table. Um, we do talk, obviously talk about 40K, but more a little bit about some of our mindset around the game uh, to really help people. So um, again, we've got that live show that's on YouTube. Now we're, you know, full up and running. Um, it's going to be fantastic to be back. So I'm sorry you've had to wait some time. Please let us know on Instagram if you have tuned in. I love it when you screenshot me with the fact that you're listening and you send that over. I'll re you know retag it and post it. So do that on the Instagram. That's at the Vanguard Tactics. So anyway, we'll head over to that interview with James. Thank you so much, Michael. You're very welcome. Pleasure to be here. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. So now it's time for that battle ready segment with Siege Studios and we welcome back James to the show. So James, I've got another question lined up for you today. And that question is, do you have any tips to get the best results around from dry brushing? Dry brushing obviously is a very common technique that many of us have used. And I think there could be something really within that aspect so we can get our miniatures to the tabletop that little bit quicker. So anyway, over to you, James. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, so first things first is just what you're deciding to use it for. Um, you know, it's, it's dry brushing as a whole has got much of a stigma regarding it. It's a, like a poor technique or things like that, which is completely incorrect in my personal opinion. Um, it's perfect for adding texture for gradient for gradients that are more naturalistic rather than than, than sort of uh, that are controlled on their execution. Um, it's great as we all know for basing, for doing scenery, for doing all these things. But you can use a dry brush for stippling to add texture onto leather. You can use uh, it for, for for doing you know if you work on busts and things like that. You can use it for stippling sort of like different hues in skin tone. Um, they have many different um, sort of uses as a, as a brush before we even talk about obviously the standard stereotypical technique, which is just adding those those semi-controlled uh, executions of paint to a, to a miniature um it's a great technique it's great for for more beginner painters that want to just get things done really quickly and pick up edges on models and that kind of stuff but i think uh some of the best painters know how to use it to to add those subtle things that we're talking about onto miniatures like for example textures or for example sort of more naturalistic volumetric highlights and things like that it's a really it's a really really good technique and i don't think that it should be discarded and thrown away as a technique as a painter i think it should be there in your arsenal of, of abilities as a painter all the way through from the moment you start painting to, through to the end of, of your painting if that makes sense um so yeah that's that's my sort of viewpoint on it yeah it certainly looks great for certain textures like flesh or bone because obviously you can really pick out some of that detail with ease but one of the problems that i have is sort of preventing it from looking like really dry or chalky not sort of product placing but obviously um uh, the uh, the Arsopus uh, ranger brushes are really good for it in the sense of that, that they come with a dampening pad um just adding a little bit of moisture into any dry brush technique is is a really good way of reducing that the the the, the chalky dusty nature that you that you brought up is purely down to friction which is obviously inherent as part of the technique you can't dry brush without rubbing the brush against the miniature and causing friction so having a slightly damp brush um, with most of the moisture that you put into it removed so that it is just literally damp. Um, all it does is just help the paint to stay active on the miniature and reduce the effect of the friction of the brush on the miniature, causing that chalky, horrible uh, rough finish that you that is notoriously sort of seen and stigmatized with the technique. Um, so, yeah. So maybe we should call it damp brushing instead. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> 
And what sort of uh, sort of motions do you use? Do you go up and down across the model? Are you using circular motions? What's what would you sort of advise there? Yeah, it, it depends on the shape of the brush head. Uh, if it's square, then up and down is obviously correct because you're following the grain of the hair on the brush, and it's the, a, a wedge. Um, if it's a round brush, whether it's a makeup brush or whether it's you know any other, any of the brushes that are out there that are round now, um, then then you can attack it in any angle without fear. Obviously, with a round brush because the, the the shape of the head acts exactly the same from whatever direction that you approach the the, the model. Um, so just assess what shape brush you're using and obviously use the direction that's relevant to the, the type of brush head that you're actually using when you're, when you're doing the dry brushing or damp brushing as we now call it <laughs> the damp brush I love it yeah. we're getting that coined right here yeah. well thanks again James and we'll see you next week no no worries see you next week so thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Competitive 40k podcast